I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source and pro power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. The following program is a PodcastOne.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Marvelous. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. I am Chris Jericho. Welcome to the show. Good to have you back. All my wonderful, fine Beautiful, sexy, sassy Jericho-holics. Thank you for joining me, as always. Ready for a good show today. M. Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold is here. Not only a number one critically acclaimed rock and roll singer in one of the biggest bands in the world today, but also a huge avowed gamer. He loves the video games and is even creating one called Hail to the King Death Bat. Can't wait to play it. Feeling good. Had a good breakfast today. Eggs and bacon and fruit, all part of the caveman diet, also known as the paleo diet. I've been on the caveman diet for, I don't know, a couple years now, two and a half years or so, to the point where it's not a diet, it's my diet. It's all I ever eat. And people say, well, what exactly is the caveman diet? Well, the caveman diet is all... Meat, chicken, fish, vegetables, lots of vegetables, fruit, but nothing citrusy, like just all berries, raspberries, blueberries, strawberries, gooseberries, gooseberry, gooseberry, gooseberry pie, uh, <laughs> eggs, you know, stuff like that. Bacon in the morning, which gives you your, your fat. I know cavemen didn't have bacon. They had pork. I guess, but you know, bacon. But you gotta have some kind of fat in your in your diet, so that's where the bacon comes in. Don't ask me; I'm not a nutritionist. I'm just doing what what they told me. Told me, and water. Drinking nothing but water. And if I want to have a little drinky winky, I have Grey Goose and water, or Grey Goose and ice, more specifically. To where if you drink Grey Goose and ice, you will never get a hangover. Yeah. True story. I know people said, Chris, come on. I'm telling you, if you drink nothing but Grey Goose, high-end vodka, top-shelf vodka and ice, you will never get a hangover. And people say, how is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Because you know when uh, you drink, there's always a lot of calories and sugar in the mix. If you have vodka and orange juice, when I, when I was uh, early teens, mid-teens, I always thought it'd be cool to drink vodka and orange juice because that's how Powell Stanley says it on a live. Drink vodka and orange juice. Oh, yeah. So I called them Paul Stanley's. So if you're going to drink a Paul Stanley, it's very tasty, but there's a lot of sugar and a lot of calories in the orange juice. And that's kind of what gets you hung over is the sugar. You're drinking you know, rum and Coke or you know, gin and tonic, all that stuff that has a lot of sugar in it. Bad for you. And... Brown alcohol, bad for you. A lot of calories, a lot of sugar. Like I used to drink a lot of Crown Royal. Horrible choice. Used to make me go nuts pulling fire alarms and doing all this horrible, terrible things. Vodka, not like that. Clear. 
low calorie. I think there's actually even protein in vodka, if you can buy that. But if you drink the vodka uh, and no uh, and just ice, no calories and no sugars, and also you're hydrating yourself the whole time, which they say if you're going to go drink before you go to bed, drink a big glass of water. I don't have to do that because I'm drinking water the whole time. You get it? So I'm doing two things at once, killing two birds at one stone. And I think cavemen had vodka, didn't they? I'm sure they must have. And I got into the caveman diet when I went to Metallica 30 anniversary uh, back in 2011 in San Francisco at the Fillmore. And I saw this guy who was walking over to me that looks like like kind of like a total James Hetfield wannabe. Like, oh, this guy's like super skinny, but he looks kind of like James. And, and then I realized it was James. And I had just seen him about four months earlier, and he was getting kind of hefty. And he had lost all this weight, I guess, probably for the 30th anniversary. He wanted to look his best. And boy, did he ever. I was like, James, what did you do? And he said, I got on the caveman diet. Well, what's the caveman diet? And he told me. So I, I was thinking to myself, I'll give it a try, see what happens. And bingo, bammo, lost like 10 pounds in like a month. It, it, was, it was amazing. And I've never stopped using it since. So if you saw me when I came back to the WWE in 2012 in like January and I was super shredded, not that I'm not now, yeah, boy, uh, that's the reason why, because I was doing yoga, DDP yoga, and having the caveman diet. I saw Hetfield later on that year when we played a download 2012, and I was asking him how his caveman diet was going, and we were discussing cholesterol levels and synthroid pills, and I was like, you know, this is not the conversation I would imagine having with the mighty James Hetfield when I was like 15 years old. You know, like you'd think it'd be about rock and roll and about metal and about drinking and about chicks. No, 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 no. We're talking about cholesterol levels, Synthroid. And how's your diet, eh? How's your diet, mate? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, my diet's fine. E, ooh, ah, e, ooh, e. So if you're looking for a way to lose some weight, go on the caveman diet. But don't mess around. Like a lot of people are like, well... I like to eat bread or the caveman diet has got no bread, no carbs, no processed foods, no sugars, none of that stuff. It's all like whole foods. Like if you go to whole foods and shop, you can buy stuff for the caveman diet, but you can't, like I said, you can't vary it where people want to make like amends or they want to make, you know, updates and changes. You can't do it. You're either in or you're out. And if you ain't in, then you must be out. So if you want to lose some weight, go on the caveman diet. That's not even an advertisement. I don't even know if it's the official name. I think it's the paleo diet, like I said. So go online, look up caveman diet, paleo diet, and follow it. And the best part of all was when I said to James, he's like, yeah, the caveman diet. And he's telling me about it. I was like, well, didn't cavemen die like before they were even 30? And he goes, yeah, well, that's because the dinosaurs ate them. Ba-boom, boom, bam. <laughs> yeah. M Shadows is on the line, but first, I gotta say thanks to the sponsors who make this show possible every week. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos, amigas. See, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. 
For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. On the line from Avenge Sevenfold, one of the number one rock and roll heavy metal bands in the entire planet. M Shadows is here. How you doing, man? What's up, man? I'm doing good. Good. It's good to have you on. It's been uh it's been a while since we had a time to chat. You've been you've been pretty busy over the last basically over the last year writing, recording, touring on Hail to the King, the number one album on Billboard in August of 2013. Congratulations. Thanks a lot, man. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Testament to the fans for sure, uh, going out there and picking it up, uh, especially this day and age. So it was a very, very nice, pleasant surprise. Well, it's funny too. We were just talking about kids and how when you have one kid, you know when it's coming. But then when you have a second one, or sorry, you have one kid, you don't really know what's coming. But you have your second one, and you kind of like, or you know what's happening. This is your second number one record. Was it like no big deal this time? <laughs> no, it wasn't that it was no big deal. But the first one is definitely uh, it's, the first one's surreal. The second one, we were, you know, we were in a little bit different mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that we were expecting it, but we were really uh, determined to to get out and tour. We were going dealing with a lot of production issues and things we wanted to do um, this time around. So um, we were just in more of a work mode. Mm-hmm. So when it happened, it kind of came and passed. And we were also doing um, dates, um, kind of jumping on and off of Upwork last year, mm-hmm. doing off days. Uh, and so, you know, when you're out there, like, flying out to shows and doing different things, there wasn't really time to hang out and party and celebrate. It was more of a, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of working and playing shows. So it's different this time, you know? It's always different. Well, and the thing is, too, though, I mean, you guys took a chance. I mean, we've talked about this in the past, but, I mean, you guys basically changed not your style because you're still Avenged Sevenfold, but you changed your mindset of how you wrote songs on Hail to the King going for the more groove, kind of the more punchier, more to the point type songs. Were you kind of I don't think nervous is the word, but were you were you curious as to how the fans were going to react? I usually have a pretty good idea how they're gonna react. Yeah. You know, every record we get pretty much the same thing. Um a lot of people like it, a lot of people don't like it. And you know, if you actually go and look at, you know, what people say about all of our records, there's very a lot of adamant people that every one of our records is our best record mm-hmm. and the other ones suck, you know, like, so it's one of those things where <laughs> I know that's probably going to be the case with Hail to the King. I know there's going to be a lot of people that don't like it. A lot of people that do like it. And then I know when we put out the next record, a lot of people will say, this isn't as good as Hail to the King. And then a lot of people will say, this is, I'm glad that they didn't put out another record like Hail to the King. So <laughs> for us, we're just kind of, we're kind of in that realm where, you know, we get a lot of, a lot of complainers about whatever we put out. So I, I knew exactly what we were getting ourselves into. Um, I don't I don't really know any other way to do it, though. You know, we like to put out different records, and the next record, I'm sure, will be um, as different to Hail to the King as Hail to the King is to anything else we've already put right. out. So, you know, it's just it's, it's exciting. It's a, that's what I think is fun about it. I like putting stuff out and seeing the reaction. Well, and that's one thing about being a musician, too. It's fun and necessary to change your style and change how you write, because if not, it gets it gets very boring. I mean, there's only so many ACDCs and Slayers in the world that can do kind of the same album over and over again. You guys took a chance, but in a good way. I almost hate to use the word matured as musicians, if that's even the case, but definitely... Definitely took a, a, a right turn in the direction that you've been heading for stylistically. Yeah, totally. And and you know what? I hope that we don't get too mature. You know, I hope that mm-hmm. we make another immature record. <laughs> you know, like I want to keep it fresh. I don't want to go too far down the road where it just gets more song oriented because I think it, there is a place to write, you know, some more progressive tunes. And, you know, like on this record, we cut out all the neoclassical stuff and all mm-hmm. the like melodic minor stuff. We used a lot more blues um, oriented, you know, scales and, and whatnot. But, you know, I know there's room for um, the other stuff on another record, you know, and, right. um, you know, so it'll be fun to explore that sometime. I think by doing a record the way we did it with Hail to the King, it gave us a lot of ammunition maybe for the next one um, mm-hmm. at some point. 
So uh, I just like making music, man. I don't know. It's it is it is interesting though. I mean, you know, you put out a record and you get to see everyone, you know, praise it and tear it down, and it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> well, especially if you you need to have a thick skin when everybody is a critic, you know, nowadays. Especially when it's so easy for somebody to go online and you know post an opinion or whatever it is, but. I think you knew what you were doing, and you knew you were doing the right thing. And, and definitely, you know, selling 160,000 records in the first week, I mean, in this day and age, in 2013, 2014, that, that's amazing. What, what do you think was, was the appeal to be able to sell that many actual records in this day and age of downloading? I really don't know. I think it's because we're young and we have an active fan base. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of the, uh, the older generation, a lot of the older bands that put out great records, I don't know if their, their fans still go out and buy as many records. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a younger fan base, um, which we kind of have a mixed fan base, I think, you know, the younger kids still want to go out and buy records and, and be really active with new music. Um, so I don't know if that will last forever. We're, we're selling tons of records every week or ever, you know, but I think while you have a young fan base, it's definitely possible. Well, it's interesting, too, to, as well, when you're talking about kind of the stylistic change. I mean, you went to more of the groove blues type not even blues, more of a groove type vibe, kind of the similar way that Metallica did on the Black Album. And you guys made it to, to places that you never had been played before with, with Hail to the King, the song, I know for sure, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, the spectrum of like where they'll play rock music these days isn't very large at all. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think anywhere that they'll play rock music, they, they, they'll play Hail to the King or they, they have, which is cool. But... Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 pretty small. I mean, if you look at the the window of you know the sure. amount of plays like a pop song or like a real truly pop song gets compared to what well, even the biggest rock song gets, it's it's pretty minuscule. But you, you know, were able to at least make it onto like K rock and places like that that would never have touched even really heavy metal at all. Yeah, totally. I mean, it was nice to get K rock on board because you know we're from you know pretty much Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, they haven't really played us for a while. And, you know, it's always nice to have some home support. Um, and and Hillary can do well for them. But, you know, you just don't know. I mean, you hear it in between Avicii and Forty, <laughs> and, you just don't, and you just don't know if that group of people want to hear Hail to the King when they're listening to, I mean, basically pop music. Well, that's you the know, thing, yeah. It's like Fall Out Boy and Beyonce and Avenged Sevenfold coming up next. Yeah, and... And, you know, that's probably why it didn't last that long on there. You know, it was on there for a while. It, it did well. And I think people that used to listen to K-Rock and that still kind of listen to K-Rock, that, you know, that's the, their station, mm-hmm. they enjoyed it. But I think a lot of the, the newer K-Rock fans are more of a pop-leaning fan. So who knows if they want to hear mm-hmm. you know, a song about kings and getting your tongue ripped out. <laughs> so. That's great, too. Yeah, that's the first line of the song. <laughs> hold your tongue yeah. or get it ripped out of your head I think it is exactly yeah, that's, that's, much, that's, yeah. that's, that's romantic lyrics man I mean you're different now mm-hmm. you've, you've got you've got a family you have to change the way you write your lyrics exactly I want to be a good role model for my son <laughs> I mean but it, it, do you how do you feel about it when people say that you're kind of I mean, obviously, Metallica is still the modern-day Metallica, but when you kind of took, I mean, almost the same way that Metallica, we keep talking about the 91 Black record, Black album, you kind of did the same for that with heavy metal on Hail to the King in certain instances. How do you feel about those comparisons that you're kind of the modern-day Metallica? I try to ignore it, honestly. I mean, it's it's flattering, but, you know, with the, the press and what magazines want to write and what websites want to write, they want to really blow that out of proportion like we're saying it. Yeah, no, no, no. You know? Right, right. And uh, so, obviously, to be compared to to who we consider the greatest, it's it's a complete honor and it's awesome, but I just hate when, you know, people kind of cherry-pick things and cherry-pick quotes and then all of a sudden we think we're the next Metallica or we think that we're, Mm -hmm. you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And we don't. We're just, you know, five guys that like to play music and put out records and we have a, you know, we're very lucky to have the fan base that we have. And we understand that when you have that, a lot of people want to throw stones. Yeah. So we just kind of, we kind of just roll with it, but you know, it's interesting to see what a whole community as a whole has become with the, with the internet and with, with, you know, social media and stuff. It's, it's definitely different. I mean, 
Chris, I mean, your band and our band are kind of the first, like the first generation of bands that have to deal with yeah. you know, the internet like that. So it's, it's, a, it's a new beast. So who knows how it's going to treat everybody, but it is what it is, you know. And you know me, I already told you, man, I stopped going on the internet. I can't handle it. It's just like, <laughs> I just can't do it. So, I mean, I stopped going on months ago and it makes you a happier person than telling you. <laughs> Yeah, for a while there, you were getting kind of mad about some of the things people were saying, and, and deservedly so. I mean, when you when you do a record or do anything creative, it is kind of. Um, you, I was the same. I took it personally as a personal insult if someone didn't like something that I did. I mean, even if I go on Twitter and read, you know, about this podcast, someone will say, "Oh, the way your segues into the ads are terrible," or something rather, and you're like, "Oh, but it, 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 that's you just got to be thick skin, right?" I could do it better. I could do it better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. You know. Well, it's funny because uh, I, I, I never really get mad about things people say about me. I, I get mad when I see things that just aren't true. And mm-hmm. like, and it's not even about, you know, just us. You know, like, I, I remember seeing a thing where there's like 50 comments about how Metallica has completely lost their fan base. Sure. And they've turned their back on them. And I'm like, the last time I saw Metallica, there was 60,000 people there. Yes. Like, what do you mean? Like, like <laughs> right. you really feel that everybody feels that way? It's not even close to the case. But you got 50 people on there like this, this unibrain, all copying each other's comments saying, you know, yes, Metallica, they're nothing now. Um, you know, like, yeah, and it's just pretty crazy to me. It's like, oh wow, people really believe that. I think it's so. funny if if you go and we've discussed this. If you go onto like a blabbermouth.net, which is the big heavy metal website, and go to any band, I don't care who it is, go click on any story that's on there, and then go to the comments. Like you said, there'll be your twenty, thirty, forty people that just hate everything, and I wonder if it's the same people over and over again that don't really care what band it is. They just want to bury everything that they're, that they're reading about. I don't know, man. It is, it is pretty <laughs> funny, but who knows? Well, like you said, the, the bottom line is, is it's a it's a number one record, uh, huge success. H- how are the songs going over live? How many songs do you play live from Hail to the King? They're great, man. I mean, we play about four of them live right now. Mm-hmm. We're gonna probably kind of move a couple in in and out of rotation just because you know we want to try to get through most songs on this record while we're on this cycle. Right. But it's a tough thing at this point, you know, like. You know, we get we get complaints that we play the same stuff, and then <laughs> we went and uh, we went and you know changed up the set list a little bit, took out some things that we usually play, and then you know immediately the first reviews are, <laughs> I can't believe they didn't play these songs, and you're just in the situation now where you're, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So right. You know, right now we play Shepherd of Fire, we play This Means War, we play Hail to the King, we were playing Doing Time and Requiem, probably drop Requiem and, and, and bring up Coming Home or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and then get some more old school stuff. I want to start playing some Waking the Fallen stuff. You know, it's 10-year anniversary. It's almost 11 years now since that album came out. And, you know, we're going to try to do, like, for the whole summer doing those um, those European festivals, we want to really have a, um, a good mix of all the records, excluding the first one. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, since Waking the Fallen, we want to kind of have three or four songs off each record um, be represented this summer. It's harder and harder, though. I mean, you guys are on your sixth record now, I believe it is. I mean, how do you choose your set list? I mean, it, it does get hard because you have the songs you have to play. You've got, I mean, you guys have how many, you know, quote-unquote rock radio hits do you have? 10, 12, 15 at this point? Number one songs? Yeah, I mean, yeah. how do you how do you choose which ones stay and which ones go? I mean, you'd be up there playing the Springsteen set if, if your fans had their way. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things where, you're right, we have to play certain things. But what we're doing now is just kind of, what we want to do is throw, you know, a couple, maybe two or three, yeah, two or three special songs in mm-hmm. the set, or things that you don't expect to hear. And then, I mean, the Buried Alive, the Afterlives, the, the Critical Acclaims, the Beast of the Harlem's Fat Countries, I mean, they kind of have to stay. I mean, right. People are coming to see those songs, and we don't want to pull the, you know, the Prince. You know, Zach went yeah. recently and didn't play one song that was even... Isn't that crazy? How, how how can he do that? I don't get that. I, I don't know, man. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's an artist, man. He can do whatever he wants. But I guess, you know man. What you're getting. We don't want to be the band that's, like, too cool to play the songs well, that people want to hear. See, that's the thing. You know, I'm, I'm going to see uh, Billy Joel... Uh, in a couple weeks and I've never seen him and you know he's one of those guys that I want to go to because it's, it's you know he's not I don't know how much longer he's going to be touring obviously a, a classic guy with a million hits 
But this tour, he's doing deep cuts, which is great if you're a diehard Billy Joel fan. I'm not. I've never seen them. And it kind of bugs me because <laughs> i got to go listen to all these songs I don't know. And I, you know what I mean? Like, it, like you said, it's, it's, it's tough. you, you got to please yourself as an artist, and I get that. You know? But also, you got to give the people what they want as well. Well, and that's also, you know, Billy Joel's been doing it forever. Um, I would be a little annoyed at that, too. Um, right. But, you know, if a band that we were really into was doing that, we might enjoy it. That's the thing. You know, don't we have to have a balance where you have to, like, you know, if, if I looked online all day and saw, you know, the songs that our fans think we want to play, if we wouldn't play that at a festival, people would just be standing there. Right. Be like, what is this? You know, and you have to, like, keep a perspective on, you know, you know, there's 400 kids commenting on what they want you to do, but you're, there's 15,000 people here. Yes. You know, like the rest of the people probably want to hear some of the bigger songs. So we're going to try to just start, you know, like I said, squeezing in a couple things that are, you know, a little deeper, deeper cuts. And uh, we'll see where that goes. And it's a good problem to have. If you have too many hits, I mean, it's not a bad, a bad thing. Yeah, but you definitely get bored playing some of them. You know, you just, I mean, we've been playing Unholy Confessions for so many years. Right. It's definitely not a bad problem to have. It's, you know, we should just be grateful that people want to hear our songs. Well, no, absolutely. And that, and that's the thing. I mean, and they do want to hear your songs because it's interesting. I know you're kind of on a, I don't know, quote unquote, a hiatus slash two months off. But when Hail came out, you guys went right on the road, right across the States, right across Europe, playing to to packed houses pretty much throughout and have a huge production. I mean, I never got a chance to see the shows uh, yet. But just watching what I've seen on YouTube, I mean, I mean, the production is is off the charts. What was your mindset in putting together this amazing uh, stage show that you guys play uh, on the Hail to the King tour? You know, we just want to trip people out. You know, when they come <laughs> to the show, we want like there to always be things happening. Like mm-hmm. you're not just standing or bored. I know when I go see shows, I usually watch the first three or four songs, and then I'm kind of looking around, going, "Okay, like unless I really, really love a band, I want them to keep my attention a little bit more." And that's just because a lot of the newer bands, they do very, like, video or, you know, yes. this, this or that. I'm just not into that. I'm more into my Maiden shows growing up and mm-hmm. Metallica shows growing up. And there was just a lot going on. And, and so we try to, you know, pick things out for certain songs and then kind of bring those to life. You know, and Hail to the King, we thought we'd bring out the King. And mm-hmm. then we, you know, things start snowballing where you're just like, okay, well, the King can come out during that song and... Can his head move and can fire come out of him and you start going crazy and then you see the bill and you're like okay let's take off a couple of things <laughs> right. and then uh, and do as much as you can you know without completely writing a check at the end of the tour yeah that's right I mean it's a fine line because you know obviously in the big picture it's going to pay off but I'm sure if you're making you know 100 bucks a show and you're spending 150 you're, that's not really the way that you can make a living on that I know I have a good group of guys in the band that keep me in check because I'm just like who cares. <laughs> Let's go. Come on. Let's do it. Yeah. And they have a little bit better sense on their head, you know, like, you know, come on, let's, let's do something that's reasonable. But, uh, the thing is you get a good production manager, like our, our production manager, Jordan, I mean, and he can make a, t- a show look, you know, like it costs a million dollars a night, you know, and it doesn't cause he just knows how to put the thing together and, and how, uh, how to make it look larger than life, which we're really grateful to have him. Is the production manager, does he come with you every night, or is it someone that just basically puts together the whole show at the beginning? No, he uh, he comes with us every night. He also puts it together. When we were doing uh, Mixing Hill to the King in New York, he was he would uh, drive down to New York. He's from Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, we would just have meetings about the production, and then he would go and work on it and then come back. And so he's like, you know, multi-purpose. He's doing everything for us behind the scenes, but he also comes on the road. Like so, you sit down with him and discuss the the show that you want to do, and then decide how much it's going to cost. And then who makes all this stuff? Like who makes the giant king behind you, for example? The giant king was done by uh, a, gr- a company in L.A. the The giant bat we had was made by the same people that made the wall for oh, Roger Waters. Wow! Um, so two different companies. Basically, uh, the bat was awesome, and we were going to go back to them for the king. But another company came in and said they wanted to, you know do it hmm. bigger and badder and, and cheaper, you know? So we gave them a shot at the King and, and they nailed it. So yeah, it's, there's just companies that will, you know, you, you go out there and, and get bids on it pretty much. So then what happens to the death bat? <laughs> well, he's traveling around the world right now. We just used him in Europe. So we have three 
um, major stages that we've built. Oh. And uh, basically, those just travel around the world. So the gates we had in Sao Paulo recently, or mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Rio. Yeah. Uh, to do Rock in Rio. It was an easy thing we could push in front of Maiden set, which was really cool. You know, those gates that catch on fire from the Nightmare album. Yeah. And then uh, those are going to go over to Australia for uh, Soundwave. And uh-huh. then the Bat is in Europe still and probably get sent down to South America. And we just kind of put everything on rotation. And then the King will come over to Europe for uh, the summer. That's so, so cool. Uh, yeah. How, how many like trucks do you have for, for a tour? You know, you talk about like, you know, semi trucks and all that sort of thing. And how many crew members do you have? know man like for for trucks and stuff i mean there's so many things that come out with us i mean we bring our own sound our own monitors our own mm-hmm. stage and then you're dealing with all the stuff to support so there's got to be i mean at least 15 trucks out there but it's not all our stuff you know i think yeah. our stuff probably fits in three or four trucks and then you know with crew that we just have it's probably around 20 some 25 but there's a lot of crew that work for the companies like the sound company and the monitor company, sure. and the lighting company that I wouldn't say work for us necessarily. They're, they're more out there as contractors for, you know, their individual brands. Do you know yeah. the names of everybody in your crew? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. They're, cool. all our, they're good friends with all of them. Yeah. But there's always random people out there. Um, you know, like I said, that work for the, the, mm-hmm. the sound company or whatever. And we usually get to know everybody, but our crew has been the same since day one. And that's so important, too. That's something a lot of people don't realize, um, you know, that are music fans, just how important a good crew is and how important it is from a professional standpoint and from a personal standpoint. Oh, God. it's It makes your life so much easier. And, and it's fun because you want to be able to, you know, on days off, go out to dinner and watch yeah. football games and, and hang out with everybody. And, and, if, and if everyone's miserable, it's just... You know, it just makes the whole tour miserable. So, right. uh, yeah, we, you just want to have friends out there and people that just want to be out there and, and are having a good time. Um, there's no point of bringing out people that are, you know, get the job done but are miserable. It kind of. Well, yeah, because it, it is the extended family. I mean, a lot of people think it's just the five guys in, in the band or the four guys in the band, but it's basically the whole whether you have five crew members, 10 crew members, 15. I mean, that everybody has to be cool because all it takes is one guy to be a little bit of a, of a, you know, a jerk or whatever. And it kind of throws off the balance. Yeah, that's, it's true. And, and we've seen it happen before, you know, you'll, you'll be on tour with a lot of bands and, or you do something like uproar or mayhem. And there's a, you know, a lot of, a uh, lot of other bands out there with crews and there's always, you, know, you see a lot of problems and it's just unfortunate. Yeah. You know, we just did the, the tour in Australia with Steel Panther and Buck Cherry and it was one of the funnest tours, but there was one guy in one of the bands that was just, he was just, I don't know what his problem was. And it just threw off the whole, like anytime that guy came around, it just threw off the whole dynamic. And it's, it's too bad that you have to have that sometimes. Oh, it sucks. Yeah. You know, exactly. Oh, well. But, but that's the way it goes. Whatever. That's why, um, but no, let's talk about something else too quickly about, about the Shepherd of Fire video. Just won the Revolver Magazine 2013 video of the year. Congratulations. I'm sure you're very excited about that. <laughs> Let's talk about that video, though. I remember one something you told me uh, about the Bat Country video, how much it costs, and according to to the Shepherd of Fire video, did you tell me the Bat Country video costs five hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, it got up there. Yeah, it was around five hundred thousand dollars. That's insane. That's crazy. Yeah. That was the music industry right when it was starting to decline. Yeah, you know, people were uh, still spending money on videos, and I think the industry was still a little um, a little bit of disbelief. Mm-hmm. You know, they were denial. Stop selling records. Yeah, it was complete denial. And things like videos still mattered, and that video did matter. To be honest, I mean, that video was MTV picked it up, and yeah. it went straight to TRL and all these crazy weird things. And and it was, it, I guess, it was worth it. But mm-hmm. um, those numbers would never even exist nowadays. You know, it was a three day shoot in Las Vegas. You know, wow. So. It's just amazing how it has changed because that was back in 2005, so it wasn't even 10 years ago, like you said, nine, nine, eight, nine years ago. Record sales, that was just insane. Like, I remember we were like 150 on the charts during Christmas weekend, and it was at 35,000 records a week it was selling, like City of Evil was. Whoa. And nowadays, I think this week we were number 41 on the charts with 14,000 records. Wow. Yeah, it's like no one sells records anymore. It's, it's it's pretty funny if you look at not funny but yeah it's pretty uh, eye opening if you look at numbers from like 2005 2004 to you know 2013 14 it's uh, pretty crazy. 
Well, it just shows how important touring is now in accordance to before. I think if you look at the, in the 70s or something, bands would go out for like a two-week tour just to promote the album. Now the album comes out basically to promote the tour. Yeah, it's true. But, you know, know that's, that's what's so good about rock music. I mean, we don't care. You know, like, that's, yeah. we want to be on the road, and that's, you know, like what, it, what it's all about. And, you know, live show is the experience. And so it's uh, well, yeah. It's always been that way for for metal bands. That's why they have like, such a strong fan base. You know, like the, the metal bands and the rock bands they can go all over the world. And you know, bands like Maiden, who aren't even on the radar to a pop listener in America, that's right. They have no idea. They have no idea how big Iron Maiden is, or even Metallica is around the world. You know, they they see Metallica at the Honda Center, you know, selling out fifteen thousand, but they don't know that go across to Scandinavia and they're doing. 50,000, 60,000 people a night. It's just insane. No, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, on a worldwide basis, I think heavy metal is probably the most healthiest of genres because I don't think you see that with, you know, we're talking, you mentioned before Avicii and all these these bands that are on Hits 1 or on, you know, K-Rock, and, and they're probably doing great in the States, but go over to, like you said, Scandinavia, nobody cares, whereas you get a Metallica, a Maiden, and Avenged Sevenfold. Your last European tour was, was a sellout, in every country you went to, and that's that's cool to know that worldwide you guys can go and, and, and do that kind of business. It's awesome. It's definitely awesome. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This, this is Talk is Jericho. We're back with M Shadows here on Talk is Jericho. M. I can't call you M. I gotta call you M. I gotta call you Matt. Does anyone call you M? Some people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you, when you make up a, a funny name when you're in high school. And then... <laughs> That's Everyone has free reign to call me whatever they want. <laughs> I don't even know what How many people have asked you what does M stand for? Uh, not that many. Like, <laughs> some have been like, some have been like, Mr. Shadows, Mr. Like, I think it's Mister. You know? Yeah, exactly. That's, That's your birth name. What was the mindset behind that when you guys created those names back when you were teenagers? Oh God, what's the mindset ever when you're a teenager? <laughs> you know, we're just, we just loved. I mean, it's just pure excess rock and roll. You know, yeah, Guns and Roses. Names, so we needed fake names, and uh, you know, we just liked the larger than life persona that rock and roll allowed you to do. And we we told ourselves that someday it would be normal to be called those names, what? and uh, we're still kind of getting used to it. I remember you know? when uh, I first discovered the band. Obviously, I, I read about you guys before I actually heard. I think, and I remember just reading Sinister Gates. I'm like, that is the coolest name. Ever. I just love it. And then you see him as like this good looking, super cute guy. I'm like, that can't be Sinister Gates. Sinister Gates got to be like a big, fat, ugly guy. <laughs> totally right. Or at least have long hair. You know? Yeah. Like, he's a crazy guy. So. Oh, well, obviously, like we talked about, Avenge doing major, major great things. The, the other thing that I always am interested in talking to you about is a world I don't know a lot about, which is video games. And, and you're, you're obviously uh, a huge gamer. Um, you love your Call of Duty. As a matter of fact, you have a dressing room where you have a big kind of a, a, a road case that it holds your whole TV and video game system in it. Yeah, Fort Knox, man. <laughs> gotta, uh, after I hit the gym, got to play some video games, and usually after the show, too, if uh, nothing's going on. So, yeah. I, I, That's amazing. I enjoy video games. Who, who's the sad sack that has to carry that around? Someone on the crew. I don't know. It's... Uh, <laughs> Just goes in one of the trucks, you know. I was laughing because a couple of times you you're having, I think it was a couple of years ago, maybe when we did uproar or something like that. You're having some, you had a sore throat or something like that, so you weren't talking, but you still put your Call of Duty uh, microphone on and you were talking into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I shouldn't have been, yeah, but yeah, That's, but uh, you know, got to make call outs, man. It's Absolutely. Your guy's getting shot in the back. You gotta <laughs> let him know. <laughs> but I mean, uh, you guys, have, especially you, have had such a affinity with video games. You even appeared as video game characters in Call of Duty. Was it Black Ops? Which one was it? No. 
Yeah, Black Ops 2. Black Ops 2, that's right. And you played uh, uh, Carry On, you wrote a song for it. So you've always had a... How did you get involved with the Call of Duty people? Did they know that you were big fans and wanted to get you involved? How did that work? Yeah, they, they found out we were fans, and we found out some, there were some fans uh, at, uh, at Treyarch, uh, the guys making the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, getting to know Mark, the president over there um, of Treyarch, he's like Mr. Active Rock, like... You go in his car, and all he's got playing is Octane. You know, he's got, you know, he knows every band. Right. Bands that I don't even like. I'm like, who? And he's like, oh, they're on Octane. Their song just got added. And he knows everything about rock. But he's an old school guy as well. Right. You know, he grew up on the ACDCs season, you know, the Sabbath. And so, you know, meeting him, we just hit it off. And he's a Lakers fan. And we just started going to games and hanging out. And all of a sudden, it was like, hey, you know, do you guys want to be in the game? Like, just a friendship that came out of going in wow. there and, and testing the game with them and playing it while they were, you know, working on it and giving them my opinion on it. And then it turned into, hey, let's let's make this a, a relationship with Avenged and Treyarch. So it was really cool. It was just a really, you know, normal, like, organic, yeah, organic right. sort of thing. It wasn't like, you know, label, you know, had like, hey, put our band in the game. <laughs> so how did you do the actual like I know for when we've done WWE video games in the past you would sit there and they would do a scan of your face and then they would also have like some I don't know some low level guys or local guys put on the suits with like the whole I don't know if it's they still use the little bulbs or whatever to do the actual moves then they would paste my face on the guy doing my move how was it for you guys to actually do the filming to get into the game yeah, we did all that stuff, but we actually got the balls put on us. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, boy. A quote for you. Yeah, a quote for you. Um, yeah, so we got in the little ball suits pretty much and, and pretty much acted out our scene. And then when it came to uh, the performance part, we all got in them and we played uh, the song in a very stale studio with mm-hmm. a bunch of cameras on us. And we tried to pretend like we were playing in front of an audience. Right. And uh, and they also did, like, you know, the face scans and the tattoo scans and pictures, and it was the full deal. It was pretty crazy. That must have been pretty cool for you. It was. It was really fun, man. We were really excited to see how it turned out. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, first came out, a lot of people were like, what the hell? Like, what is this, you know? And, and then uh, you know, now I see people that just think it's really cool that we got to be in that game. And, you know, it's just an Easter egg at the end of the, at the end. Of yeah, the it's like a little bonus game. thing. So, yeah, and it's. Video games have always done that. They've always put funny little things at the end of games or, or you know, put little Easter eggs hidden here or there. And we think it was just a really cool one. I mean, obviously we're in it, so we, we thought it was really cool. I showed that to my son, Ash, who you played Call of Duty with. Actually, he might have even found it himself, and he was all freaking, oh, Matt's in the game, Matt's in the game. So he saw you in there. <laughs> That's funny. So let's talk. Let's talk about your game. I mean, you you sprung this on me a couple months ago. You sent me the trailer for it. Hail to the King Death Bat. It's basically an Avenged Sevenfold game that you created. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's a mobile game. Just so everyone's clear, but it's a very high end mobile game. So it's for not, your for your phones, you mean mobile phones? It can be played in your phones. We're having a little bit of issues right now because we've packed so much into the game, mm-hmm. getting it to work on the phone, but um. So we're dumbing it down a little bit. We kind of have to. Not the story or anything, just kind of the graphics and stuff. You have to really make sure it plays on everything or people are going to want to hang you. So you what know? do you mean when you say it's a mobile game, then where does it play? So it'll play on your iPad, your any sort of tablet. Gotcha. Play, um, so obviously the high-end tablets are you know, easier to get going um, in terms of like how we want the game to look. And then when you have to kind of get it ready for like the iPad mini or for certain Android devices or, or your phone, you know, you kind of have to make the game, you know, run on all those things. Okay. You know, that's, so basically that, and there's a bunch of devices out there, like NVIDIA just put out like a mobile gaming device that it's going to work on. We're probably going to put it on Steam, um, which is a PC um, platform for people to uh, download games, cheaper, mm-hmm. cheaper games, independent games. So we just basically made our own indie game. So I don't want people to think, oh, they're making a AAA game because it's it's not. It's not a $500,000 game. Mm-hmm. Or, I'm sorry, not a $500 million game. <laughs> it's, yeah. You know, it's it's not like putting out Call of Duty or something. It's, this is a game. We wrote the story. Um, we involved Jimmy in it. And with his oh, really? Plus, they thought it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, how do you involve him? Is he a character in the game? He's a character, yeah, but he's he's also, he helps you along 
on your journey while you're playing as a death pad to claim your land back. Oh, that's great. So, so he makes a bunch of appearances, and then there's a way to unlock him and play as him and use his sword as long as you do the correct things. Uh, but I don't want to give that away. Okay. <laughs> uh, how to do that? But um, you know, so it's a, it's a it's a video game. It's it's kind of like Diablo with more of a story. It's got more of a Zelda feel to it, where there's some puzzles and some you know, some open world exploring. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a it's a cool little game for gamers. You know. How long does it take to develop a game like that? Like how long have you been working on this for? We're going on two years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is we have a small team, um, and we're trying to do everything ourselves so that. It's a small group of guys that are working on everything, and the game's getting bigger and bigger as we're going on. Um, it's one <laughs> of those things where you start off with a small idea, and then, can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do that? And now the game has turned into something that's uh, a pretty much a beast. And uh, It's, so, almost, like like, said, it's almost like your live show. You keep wanting to make it bigger, and someone has to pull you back. Totally, totally. And right now, there's no one to pull us back. So. <laughs> <laughs> we're just going over the cliff with it. And who knows if, if anyone will even want to play it. You know, it's... It's just a shot in the dark for us. It's it's more of just a creative outlet. Video games are something that I grew up on and our generation grew up on, and mm-hmm. I don't expect the older generation to get it because, you know, when we got our Nintendos when we were little kids, you know, mm-hmm. that's like our generation. And right. I know so many 30, 35-year-olds that all have video game consoles because we grew up on it. And so hopefully people respect it as a game and not just, oh, a band's putting something out or a band's putting their name on something. You know, it's it's a game that I think will hold up to gamers, not only our fans, but the gamers. I think people know that. They know that about you is that you have this other side of you where you really are a hardcore gamer. And I think it's actually really cool that you're doing this. It, it, it's it's I don't think it's healthy, especially in this day and age. You see a lot of people, I mean, Lord knows I do it, to just do the same thing all the time. It's cool and it's and it's awesome to have your number one love, but it's also good to, to explore something else that you're interested in and you're creating your whole whole game of your own i think that's pretty pretty cool well yeah i think you know once people pigeonhole you as doing one thing it's like you can't do anything else right yeah you know, it's it's you know they should just stick to music, making music hey quit yeah. wasting your time doing that write us another record yeah yeah like, go back to wrestling yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly so you know it's it's one of those things where you just got to do what you want it's funny how everyone's got so many opinions on what you should do right and it's just I've never wasted my time doing that to anybody else. I don't know why they do it to, to me or you. But at the same time, I think it's just because, you know, it comes out of a good place. You know, they love that, you go, that you're a wrestler and they want to see you out there. And, and bands want another record or they want more yes. live shows. I get it. But I think that uh, this could add another dimension to something that they also might like. So, well, and it's, and it's an Avenged Sevenfold game, too. So it's just expanding the whole Avenged Sevenfold empire. Totally. And, I, I you know, like... It, that's one of the things that was like kind of we're on the fence about because we don't want to become, you know, a band that's just doing all these things. But this is something we truly, truly love. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's something that we really want to do, and it's something that I go work on, you know, six, seven hours a day with these guys wow. um, to get it done. And we got to do some cool new music for it, um, and we got to, you know, it, to me, it's just another creative outlet, and it tells the story of the Death Bat. And you know, the one thing that we're probably shooting our foot or shooting ourselves in the foot with is that we made it a gamer's game. You know, if we mm-hmm. wanted to make money off it, we'd probably make it some game that you charge a little bit of money and your fans can walk <laughs> through an experience. Like an app. You know, but, yeah, like, you know, just kind of walk through it. You don't really ever die. It's mm-hmm. kind of easy. But this is a gamer's, this is going to be tough. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to pick it up and just put it down. <laughs> because it's going to be, you know, if you, if you want to play a hard game, like a, a game like Super Meat Boy or uh, like some of those hard platformers like Contra, you know, it's a tough game, and I want gamers to pick it up and say, I want to beat this game because it's hard. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned, too, about about the music for it. You, you sent me something yesterday to listen to that just blew me, blew me away, actually. You were talking about 8-bit, the, the sound of video game music. And I, I bought a stand-up machine, basically, because you had one, of all these really cool games from, like, the 80s. And they always had this really cool music. But it's that music that you hear in a video game. How did you transpose some of these new songs, I think, left over from the songwriting sessions from Hail of the King that you didn't use. How did you transpose them into this video game-sounding music? There's a couple things. We uh, Brian got some crazy program where he can basically play any instrument you know, through this program, and it will uh, transcribe it into musical notes and transcribe it into Pro Tools and stuff. Mm-hmm. So basically, we were writing songs, and we have Brian playing guitar, and we can switch the tones out um, 
into, you know, you buy some of those samples of like an 8-bit sampler, you buy like an old Galaga, you know, right. fireball sound or something. And you can like basically program everything to, um, you know, the sounds that you want. And then Zach's brother, Matt Baker, he's like a MIDI genius. He's just amazing at what he does. He, he does music as well. Um, we were just sending him our, our files and sending him our our ideas and um, our pretty much finished songs. Some some were not as finished as as uh, we wanted them to be because we had to go on that European tour. Right. But we just sent him the melodies, sent him the ideas, sent him what we wanted the sounds to be like, and he would just go off on it. So I feel like, you know, you listen to those sounds, there's a lot of 8-bit in those games that you have at your house. But these, these have like a, a real organic, like, background to them mm-hmm. with like a, sort of an eight bit on top of it so it still feels big it feels cool it feels very 2013-14 but it, it does feel very 1980s as well sure yeah it does you know? so it's, it's one of those things where we wrote you know seven or actually eight songs to go along with the game and then as you play in the game when you fight bosses you you hear the music the actual avenge sevenfold music of the oh. boss that it correlates to so when you play the Beast and the Harlot, you fight both of them in in Babylon. Uh, <laughs> wow. The, the, music for Beast, yeah, the, the music for Beast and the Harlot actually plays during that. So it's a big mixture of stuff. So you wrote new songs for the game, or are these kind of leftover tracks that you didn't use for the last record? Um, a lot of duels and stuff that we didn't use for the record because, you know, like I said, we were doing the more bluesy thing on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a lot of neoclassical, a lot of melodic, minor you know duels and, and and whatnot so we used a lot of those things that we didn't feel fit the record uh-huh. um and we used them in the game so yeah there but then there was like you know we got to the point where we had needed like three more songs so we had to write three fresh ones as well that's amazing man and when, when do you think the game is going to be ready to come out or do you even know yet i think it should be ready to, people will be hearing more about it in about three months okay um, you know because right now we have you know you know how it is. I mean, I don't know the industry, how to release the game as well. So we have a lot of meetings coming up mm-hmm. uh, actually this month. And I'm sure people are going to say, okay, well, we need a three-month time span before you get the finished game to sure. you get it out in the market. So I don't know what's going to come. So I think probably three to four months. Because you're doing this basically all on your own, and you're going to go take it to companies and, and sell it to them. Yeah, well, we already have relationships with iTunes. Um, and then Android will let you put up pretty much anything, like the Google Play Store or whatever. Steam, you can get on Steam, I know that. So we, we can get it to the places where people can play it. We just want to do a global launch and get everybody on board. And mm-hmm. Yeah, we have no, nobody owns any of this. The record label doesn't own any of it. Uh, we're paying for it all ourselves. So there's no, like, safety net there, you know, where yeah. it's like, okay, this is what you do and this is how it comes out. We're just doing it all ourselves. So it's so I just really don't even, if I give a date, I just really don't know if that's going to happen. No, but it's great, though, because you also own everything and you're in charge of everything. So you can make it any way you want it. Exactly. You mentioned that you had uh, Jimmy in, in the game, Jimmy Sullivan, Avengers drummer that passed away four years ago now, a little bit over four years ago. How is it now, uh, four years after his passing, is, is, does, is it still tough? Are you able to look on him, look, think back about him and just think of all the great stuff? Is it still hard playing gigs without him behind you, or are you getting used to that now? Um, the gigs, I wouldn't say I'm getting used to it, but this last, uh, the 28th, this last one we just had was a, a rough one. I don't know why. You know, like why is was, that? In four years? I don't know why it was. Yeah, it was it was the the four year anniversary when he died. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why it was so rough. It was just one of those you know hang out with friends and we always get together yeah. as a band and as friends and have some drinks and talk about him and hang out and it's a celebration of his life. But it sure was rougher than the other ones. I don't know if maybe I just don't know what it was about it. Yeah, I think you're probably going to have that though. You know, we're sure. years are here. And, but yeah, I, the shows, you know, we go out there and we handle business, you know, like mm-hmm. we go out there and, and we try to kick ass every night. And, you know, when you're playing fiction or so far away, you know, it gets a little, you know, you, you start thinking about it a little bit. But usually the crowd will take you away mm-hmm. to a place where you can just execute the songs and have a good time. But yeah, this year was a little weird, man. It just wasn't, you know, it was do, just like, you missed the guy, you know? What do you miss most about Jimmy? Oh, man. I mean, you watch any YouTube videos, this is... I was laughing the other day just watching him put Johnny on his back, trying to break Johnny's back. And then when he's flexing, and then, like, we're all flexing. Me and Brian are flexing in the mirror, and Jimmy walks up flexing like he's going to show us. <laughs> you know, just, Skinny like, guy, yeah. Just, yeah, just, just him being 
him him being around. I miss that he doesn't know my son. Yeah, you know, he was like such good, uh, such good friends with Val too, or like best friends with her. And you know, he always talks about how he couldn't wait till we had a kid and how mm-hmm. fun it was going to be. And it's just, it's just a, a shame, you know, yeah. it's a shame that he's not here to meet River and know River. And it sucks that I have to raise River and just always tell him about Jimmy and not be able to let him know Jimmy. Yeah. For himself, right? Yeah, that never that never goes away. Those those uh, those memories. But do you still use some of his tracks live? Some of his vocal tracks? Yeah, we use all of his vocal tracks live. So I went, and, you know, right when he, pretty much right when we decided to start touring, and I went and pulled out all the old master tapes and threw all of his vocals on the, you know, our Pro Tools sessions and and just even songs that we didn't play to a click before we uh, started playing to a click just so we could. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah, things like critical acclaim, you know, there's no need for it. But uh, if he's going to sing a chorus, we've got to be on the click. So. Yeah. Just things like that. You know? Yeah, because his vocals are very prominent in critical acclaim. Obviously, oh, yeah, in the chorus. Yeah, in the chorus, you know? Yeah. Well, those yeah, those so. are some big shoes for, for your new drummer, Aaron Elahay, to, to fill. Not only, you know, with the Rev, but also the, some of the stuff that Portnoy did as well. So, I mean, that, that was a big shoes for a guy that young to be able to fill. Yeah, you know, and he's never going to, I mean... He's never going to be the Rev, and he's, and he's never going to be Mike, and we don't want him to be. We want him to yeah. be his own person. And at the end of the day, you know, Aaron's a person too, and we want, you know, he's a good, he's a good guy, and we want him to be able to build his own legacy. We're giving him the platform to do it. Um, and you know, we just think that, uh, you know, Jimmy's Jimmy's legacy is going to be what it is, and we don't, we're not going to tarnish that by trying to have someone come in and play just like him or look like him and sing like him and. It's never going to happen, you know. They, right. Jimmy's a one in a million kind of guy, so it's one of those things where the best thing for us is just to kind of close that chapter and celebrate Jimmy's life. Absolutely. Hearing his vocals and the records that we were on on uh, with him, and then Aaron's got to pick up those pieces and, and take it from here. Yeah, make it his so, own. Make it his own. Yep. Last question: What's your favorite song to play live still to this day and age? Uh, Buried alive, probably. Um, it's my favorite song we've ever written. Really? So, yeah, I, I just love that song. Um, I just think it's it's the best song we've ever written without a good chorus. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I think a good I think a chorus that's too catchy would have taken away from what that song's all about. It builds so well like, too. Yeah, and that's always like the uh, that's always like the front line you're dealing with. You're trying to write good choruses. You're trying to write good verses. But if you had a good chorus in that song, you'd be saying, why the hell don't I hear the chorus quicker or more? Because yes. it only happens twice. But it's one of those songs where, you know, to me, it just builds perfectly. I love how it gets heavy at the end. Um, I love the guitar playing in it. And it's just a, a fun, you know, yeah. fun half ballad, half thrash song to me. It's a good... Um a good showing of what Avenged Sevenfold is sound-wise. You know, it's a good indication. It's a good representation of it. I think, you know, like... On the last record, on Hail to the King, we were searching for a song that was kind of like a Buried Alive, and we never quite got there. Yeah. Um, a lot of tribe didn't quite get there. And, you know, I, I really want to go down that path at some point and, and try to get some of those more, you know, the, the Nightmares and the Buried Alive type songs. Not to make a record like that, but to kind of use that as an influence to, like, figure out, you know, a, a cool new path to go down. You know, we're always looking for a new path. Like sure. A new thing that interests us. Um, and and one thing I've always said is I never want to like copy ourselves. I never want to like write another record and say, oh, this sounds like that record, or this mm-hmm. sounds like, oh, this sounds like Waking the Fallen, or whatever. But Buried Alive to me is one of those things where we can take a little bit of influence from it and kind of see where that goes for the future. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Matt. It's been great talking to you, and, and and always always a pleasure to hang with you, man. And, and just keep in mind, like I said, I know you're the king of bust to move, but time pilot. <laughs> Time pilot, my friend. <laughs> well, it's the one game you've got me at. I, I, well, I, got I haven't got you yet, but it's just the only one I'm I, good at. True. I, haven't even, I haven't even picked it up yet. Okay, i gotta, <laughs> I got to get in the time pilot. I put some time into it. So. Absolutely, yeah. man. Thank you so much, Matt. We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, thanks a lot, dude. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 
21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to my guest, M. Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold. Really looking forward to the Hail to the King Death Bat video game and also to see Avenged on tour this summer all across the world. If you want to buy Hail to the King, make sure you do it on Amazon.com and make sure you link to Amazon.com through my page when you do your shopping. Just go to PodcastOne.com, click on Talk is Jericho, then click the Amazon button. Every time you do your shopping that way, Amazon gives a little kickback to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free. So... Go to podcastone.com, click on Talk is Jericho, click on the Amazon button, buy Hail to the King now. Everybody's happy. Time for the question on at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. At Creature Lives wants to know, what are your thoughts, predictions for the second half of the fourth season of The Walking Dead? Well, I know it's not going to end up good for anybody that's one thing i like about those type of shows is it's it's a zombie apocalypse so it's not like anybody it's not like you're gonna wake up one day and suddenly all the zombies are gone like you know rain fell and dissolved all the zombies everybody is screwed everybody is going to die it's just a matter of how and when and that's why i like the walking dead that's why i like sons of anarchy that's why i like dexter that's why i like breaking bad nothing good is going to happen to these poor characters that's why i like big ass spider it's a giant spider. Not going to end up good. So Walking Dead, my prediction is Carol comes back to either aid Rick or destroy him and get revenge. That's my prediction for the second half of season four. Plus a lot more zombie deaths. It was awful to see Herschel die. Just got his head chopped off. Terrible, terrible deaths. And I think you're going to see another horrible death from a major cast member on Walking Dead season four. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to Talk is Jericho. I am Chris Jericho. Stay hard, stay heavy, stay hungry. I love you. We'll see you next week right here on podcastone.com. Thanks for listening to Talk is Jericho. Don't forget, every Wednesday there's a brand new episode of Talk is Jericho at podcastone.com.